Hello, everyone. Amelia Taylor-Hawkberg here, Arcanex Managing Editor. The interview you're about to hear was recorded live as part of Arcanex's podcasting event series, Next Up, held at Los Angeles' Architecture and Design Museum on October 29th. We've hosted Next Ups before at Giant Jai Gallery in Los Angeles and at the inaugural Chicago Architecture Biennial. This time around, we're focusing on the LA River and the constellation of issues surrounding its redevelopment. With so much controversy and history surrounding the river, we wanted to do justice to its complexity, so we gathered a vast range of professionals, from artists and architects to planners and journalists, to share their perspective. We hope you enjoy this interview from Next Up, the LA River. Okay, so next up, I'm honored to be sitting here with Mia Lair. Mia Lair is a prominent uh, local landscape architect here in Los Angeles who has been uh, spending a big proportion of her career studying and analyzing and working on the LA River trying to fit a conversation into 15 minutes with you is probably going to be as challenging as resolving the master plan. Um, so I'd like to just get started with uh, asking about where your relationship with the river started from both a professional and, and a personal level. So I, I moved to Los Angeles. I'm from Central America. Um, and my father was very involved in, in the environmental movement there. <laughs> founded the TPL of El Salvador and was very involved in water and water issues. Of course, there's too much water. It's the tropics. Um, moved to L.A. In, the, in 1980 and started working for people in Hollywood. So I used to have uh, five, six, seven of those projects at a time. And at some point, I started working on children of my children's public schools and eventually met up with uh, the poet, nobody's mentioned today that he was, he is a poet, and that's how he actually looked at the LA River and started uh, cleaning, helping in the cleanups that happened in the 80s, actually early 90s, with my son, who's uh, Deborah Weintraub's daughter's age, so early 90s. And at that time, also met up with several of the people within the Urban Land Institute and the AIA and the ASLA who were working on the river and the potential of the river. So with you and your firm, Mealair and Associates, you worked as the landscape architect, recreation and open space designer for the 2007 LA River Revitalization Master Plan. And within that, that uh, the scope of that work, you developed almost 300 projects along the 39-mile the stretch of river in the city. I was wondering if maybe you could tell us a little bit about uh, one or a few of these projects that, that mean something special to you? Yes. So I just want to, because I just came from the American Society of Landscape Architects Conference in New Orleans, and we just, as the Landscape Architect Foundation, issued our new Declaration of Concern that was issued at University of Pennsylvania in the 1960s. Landscape Architects, I run a firm of Landscape Architects and Urban Designers, and we are trained to think about systems, and I just want to re re sort of set the record straight that hydrology was part, a very deep part of the original master plan, and it was part of the brief, so it came from the Bureau of Engineering, and because there's been a misconception about what the original plan was, 
and that ecology and hydrology actually have a very strong relationship. So this conversation of this sort of binary about soft and cute and lovely and birdie versus hard and elegant and architectural is kind of, you know, if you're going to work in the river, you're going to be dealing with what I call urban ecology, and that's our reality in our big cities. So I just want to set the record straight. And what was the question again? <laughs> well, I was hoping with uh, your expansive work with the river, uh, developing almost 300 projects, I was hoping that maybe you could take us through uh, one or, or a couple okay, or a few sure, of the, these sure, projects. With pleasure. With pleasure. So, um, first of all, the amazing the team that I worked with, um, aside from being led by the Bureau of Engineering, we worked under an engineering firm, Tetratech, and there were three landscape architecture teams, members of the team, Civitas. Wenk and Mia Laren Associates. And actually, at the time, Alex Robinson had just graduated from our alma mater and was working with us. And uh, we sort of uh, developed uh, this the, the master plan. And at the end of the document, we developed 280, uh, to be precise, projects, of which at least 40 have already are either underway like Albion, or on the process of being built. But there are probably three significant projects that really would bring um, to life the objectives of the master plan and the, the reality in Los Angeles today. And it has to do with the drought and managing water in, a, in an intelligent way. One is the G2 parcel associated with Bowtie that was just mentioned, which is 40 acres. The other would be the piggyback yards, which is a railroad facility, which is 120 acres, uh, 125 acres, which is only a mile away. And right below, actually, not too far from Metabolic Studio uh, Water Wheel. And then Surprisingly, but not originally the plans, the Silver Lake Reservoir, which is was a drinking water reservoir, is empty now, but could be a place where water could be basically retained in such a way that it could be used in the micro watershed and could deploy some of the strategies associated to making sure that our reclamation water doesn't go swiftly down into the Pacific Ocean. And instead, along its way, it really works for the communities along the way. So you have there about 100 acres. And, you know, I can't tell you how many gallons of water we could have stored there and be able to use not only for the Silver Lake residents, but also to just help make sure that we manage water and infiltrate water in a much more respectful way. And unfortunately, we, you know, even though we are in a drought, it's sort of was declared a sort of not big emergency some last week, which is a shame since we're all just learning how to deal with water in an intelligent way. The message is a little confusing. So with a project like like the Silver Lake Reservoir, what does it take to make that happen? What are the hurdles that we're facing? Well, I would say a few things. I think that, you know, we obviously all care about design and we all care, you know, we think that collaboration matters and the advocacy matters. And, you know, many of us live in, in the general community. So, but leadership matters. We have to have the decision-making ability in the leadership to make some of these projects happen. And, you know, we're already operating outside of silos. I think that many of the water agencies, whether sanitation or Department of Water and Power, or Bureau of Engineering in general, everybody's working together, but there needs to be this nudge to make things happen 
faster. And for that, sometimes funding, uh, Elizabeth mentioned, you know, funding is an issue. Private-public partnerships are proving to be a way to solve many of these problems. And so whether it's through new methods of like tax increments financing, which means that you could tax everybody within the, the neighborhoods that are being impacted, and as property titles change, and then you could pay for those projects. Of course, I also uh, am now located right across the street from here between 1st and 4th on Mission. So I'm in the district and have yet to find, have found it to be actually a very exciting moment in time to really be part of the neighborhood, part of this growing community, uh, which of course the India Museum represents. How have you seen the public, the public's awareness and reaction to the river for over the last couple decades that you've been investing yourself in this project? You know, I see the younger generation uh, sort of, you know, of course, I resent the ageism because some of us are young at heart, but uh, just, you know, in Los Angeles and and one of the my uh, really uh, wonderful young staffers is moved here from Michigan because she felt such an energy in Los Angeles. And, you know, people use space in a really interesting way. It's a, it's a rich experience. I've been in the river for 25 years. My son had to clean up a dead cat when he was five, when we were cleaning the river. And so his memories are very vivid about what the LA River feels like. And uh, I think when we were teaching a course at one point with uh, Alex, there was a woman who wouldn't let you buy the river if you didn't listen to her playing opera and changing her basically hat and shoes multiple times. So, you know, I, I think, yes, I feel that not enough was done to really sort of celebrate the amazing work of many of the people in this room, and I actually feel incredibly privileged to have worked with so many people that have been working along the river for the last couple decades, including, of course, Lewis and his whole team and Steve and many others who are not here. And so we think that at a grassroots level, because remember, it's not just the press, right? We do have social media, and I will say that the groups like the you know 50, Project 51 and Leela and Cat and others, they will cast out a message on a Thursday that it's Earth Day and we're going to do X, and 500 people show up. So I would put the me- to sort of put the challenge out there to the journalists in the room to find out. I mean, those people don't read the LA Times. They just don't. And if they do, they're sort of somewhat suspect of what it, you know, what the information is that they're getting. So the question is, it'd be interesting to do, to canvas, like the people that are down there and the people that are really appreciating, enjoying and participating and that feel, for example, they come to, to some of us to say, why aren't you defending us in certain situations? So hence L.A. Moss. And hence, Grown in L.A., which is a series of nurseries that are getting built along the L.A. River and the environs that are going to create enough plants for everybody who wants to create parks along the L.A. River. Because right now we don't have enough plants to actually have these projects come to life. So before we finish, I'm hoping that you can share with us maybe a a, a personal or maybe selfish uh, favorite spot along the L.A. River 
for yourself? I have to be really honest. I really love the the wider part of the channel um, between the first and fourth street bridge. And I'm just always, even though there isn't one plant, I'm just always amazed at the, basically the smaller channel in the center and how that changes in color, depending on the time of day and the amount of water that goes in and out of it, but also the fauna that actually inhabits that space. And one of my mentors when it comes to urban ecology and fauna is Gary George from the uh, Ottoman Society, who taught me that basically, you know, there is a tremendous amount of resiliency on the part of nature. And that's not to say that I don't think that water quality and access aren't important, but to some of the, one of the points that was made earlier, the whole channel's not going to change. So we got to figure out a way to really, from a visual perspective and a sense of awe of what man and nature can sort of bring together that piece. And it's because I've also spent more time there in the last year, as of last Friday, a year ago, that piece of river, that stretch is really meaningful to me. Do you feel good about the future of the LA River? I feel good about the future of the LA River. You know, master plans are, you know, the 2007 master plan and then eventually the ecosystem restoration plan. And then, you know, all of us traipsing, by the way, to Washington, D.C., about 40 of us to sort of convince Congress that it made sense. Master plans ebb and flow depending on environmental, social, economic conditions. And the plan has an opportunity to grow. And there's probably in the 52 miles, because remember, we only studied 32 ourselves. There's two sides. That's 110 miles. And then if you really go out of ways, an acre or so, you're talking about 10,000 acres. There's enough opportunities for hundreds of amazing architects. And Yes, we're pleased that Frank Gehry, a, an, an amazing icon in architecture, is leading the charge for some of the projects. Now, we also think that the way we've worked so far, it was a level, and I think it's, it's in American culture, is to be able to think about transparency as we work together. And the fact is that we don't know what the plan is. We don't understand the plan right now. We're excited to see what the plan's going to look like. And uh, we're very curious. So, you know, for those of us who had to go to, to including Alex, to about, a hundred, you know, about, I don't know, it seemed like 180 community meetings in 16 months to get the master plan through the process, you know, the notion, you know, we're, we're just immensely curious what's being cooked up. And we look forward to seeing what it is. So we're all just waiting for Frank Gary to open up those windows and let us in. Yes. Well, thank you so much for thank joining you. us here.